Father, I'm running, running back to your arms. I just believe today that God wants us to run to him. I just see the Father with his arms wide open and he's just calling you to come to him. Wherever you're at, whatever is happening, his arms are wide. They're wide open for you. He stands waiting for you to run to him. And you know, he's the God of the impossible. He's the all-comforting, mighty, wonderful God. And he's waiting for you. Isn't that just amazing? He's waiting for you to come home. And so we're going to continue with our story about David. And David needed to come home. David had sinned. You know, we saw last time that he had uh, become, if you like, lazy or overoccupied with the things of this world or become sensual or whatever the enemy had been doing in David's heart. The same, he does the same things in our hearts. And so we came last week and we saw that we shouldn't in any way be judgmental of David because for every one of us there's the capability of doing the same thing and more. And so we looked with great sympathy uh, at David last week and we saw how easy it is to slip into sin little by little, to listen to the wrong voice and to find yourself moving away from God and moving into disaster. And that's what happened to David. He moved he moved away from God and he actually sinned grievously as we all know and we saw last week how he had committed adultery with Bathsheba the wife of Uriah we saw that it was even more shameful because Uriah was one of his mighty men and Uriah had been faithful to fight for David for so long was even out on the battlefield fighting for him whenever David was seducing his wife and we saw how disgraceful it was and how it brought shame upon the name of the Lord and uh, we saw that, that all the while God's heart was broken because of David's sin. And as we pick up the story today, I just want to remind you that when we sin, that we break God's heart. That when we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit. And God is grieved, but God longs for us to come home. God longs to restore us. And he longs to bring us back to that place where we will know peace. A lot of what we're going to say today revolves around a, a, verses, a couple of verses in Hebrews 4, verse 12. And I'm going to read them to you in the um, message because I just think they're particularly poignant. Here's what it says. My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline, but don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment. It's training, the normal experience of children. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? We respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us. So why not embrace God's training so we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them. But God is doing what is best for you, training us to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. It's always, it always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off handsomely. 
For it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. So don't sit around on your hands. No more dragging your feet. Clear the path for long-distant runners so no one will trip and fall, so no one will step in a hole and sprain an ankle. Help each other out and run for it. Run for it. And so we see that God was going to discipline David and you know what he will discipline you and it's actually proof Hebrews 12 tells us it is proof that we are his children when he disciplines us and so we don't discipline other people's children we discipline our own and our heavenly father disciplines us for our own good Christine Cain says vision will get you inspired but discipline will take you to your destination God has a destination for you and for me And whilst we might get a glimpse of it and have a vision and know that God will help us and we can do things for the Lord, it's his discipline that will actually bring us to actually see that destiny fulfilled. And so we see that God was working behind the scenes to restore David, to give him back his peace. We read there how, uh, we read in in Hebrews uh, 12, how God is working and it's, the way it puts it here is later of course it pays off handsomely for it's the well trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. The New King James says that afterwards it brings forth, the discipline brings forth the peaceable fruits of righteousness. In other words after God disciplines us he brings forth the, the, the righteous things, the right things that he has planned for us. He brings forth his righteous plans so that we will be fruitful women. And this is what God wants for us. And so I'm going to read the story. I'm going to read the story today from 2 Samuel chapter 12. And I'm going to read it again from the message because I think it's very, very poignant in the message. So let's just get ourselves ready here to listen to this. This is the story of how God disciplined David. And I will tell you this that God will discipline you if you really belong to him. And I can look back in my life, there's so many times when I knew this discipline. And you know what? The correction isn't always that nice. But I tell you afterwards, afterwards you know that closeness. And it's a wonderful thing to be disciplined by God. It's something to say thank you for. It's something to, to appreciate and to know that it's God's love that disciplines you. So let's read the story. It says, this is after David had committed adultery and and Bathsheba came to live with him because she was pregnant and her husband had been killed in the war. Here's what it says in chapter 12, verse 1. But God was not at all pleased with what David had done. And he sent Nathan to David. Nathan was the prophet. Nathan said to him, there were two men in the same city, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had a huge flock of sheep, herds of cattle. The poor man had nothing but one little female lamb, which he had bought and raised. It grew up with him and his children as a member of the family and ate off his plate and drank from his cup and slept on his bed. It was like a daughter to him. One day a traveller dropped in on the rich man. He was too stingy to take an animal from his own herds of flocks to make a meal for his visitor. So he took the poor man's lamb and prepared a meal to set before his guest. David exploded in anger. As surely as God lives, he said to the prophet Nathan, The man who did this ought to be lynched. He must repay for the lamb four times over for his crime and his stinginess. Nathan replied, you're the man. Isn't it amazing 
how often we are so hard on other people. <laughs> and it's a well-known fact that the things that we do most ourselves are usually the, the thing that we hate most in others. <laughs> Did you know that's a proven fact? <laughs> You're the man, Nathan says. And here's what God, the God of Israel, has to say to you. This is Nathan's prophecy. I made you king over Israel, said the Lord. I freed you from the fist of Saul. I gave you your master's daughter and other wives to have and to hold. I gave you both Israel and Judah. And if that hadn't been enough, I'd have gladly thrown in much more. So why have you treated the word of God with brazen contempt, doing this great evil? You murdered Uriah the Hittite, then took his wife as your wife. Worse, you killed him with an Ammonite sword. And now, because you treated God with such contempt and took Uriah the Hittite's wife as your wife, killing and murder will continually plague your family. This is God speaking. Remember, I'll make trouble for you out of your own family. I'll take your wives from you in front of you. I'll take them to some neighbour and, and, and he'll go to bed with them openly. You did your deed in secret, I'm doing mine, and with the whole country watching. Then David confessed to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. Nathan pronounced yes, but that's not the last word. I think that's just a beautiful place to stop for a moment. Your sins, yes, there can be consequences for our sins. Sometimes the sins that we commit have consequences that, that, that cannot be undone. Although God does promise he will work all things together for good to those who love him. But here's the thing. You may have sinned grievously. David sinned grievously. But here's what Nathan pronounced. Yes, but that is not the last word. Isn't it amazing that sin doesn't have the last word in our lives? Nathan said, God forgives your sin. You won't die for it. But because of your blasphemous behaviour, the son born to you will die. After Nathan went home, God inflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he came down sick. David prayed desperately to God for the little boy. He fasted, wouldn't go out, and slept on the floor. The elders in his family came in and tried to get him off the floor, but he wouldn't budge. Nor could they get David to eat anything. On the seventh day, the child died. David's servants were afraid to tell him. They said, what do we do now? While the child was living, he wouldn't listen to a word we said. Now with the child dead, if we speak to him, there's no telling what he'll do. David noticed the servants were whispering behind his back and he realised that the boy must have died. He asked the servants, is the boy dead? Yes, they answered, he's dead. David got up from the floor and washed his face and combed his hair, put on a fresh change of clothes, then went into the sanctuary and worshipped. Then he came home and asked for something to eat. They set it before him and he ate. His servants asked him, what's going on with you? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept and stayed up all night. Now that he's dead, you get up and eat. David said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept, thinking God might have mercy on me and the child would live. But now that he's dead, why fast? Can I bring him back now? I can go to him but he can't come to me. David went and comforted his wife Bathsheba, and when he slept with her, they conceived a son. When he was born, they named him Solomon. David, God had a special love for Solomon and sent word to David by Nathan the prophet that God wanted him named Jedidiah, 
God sent a special message to David and Bathsheba to say that he wanted to give the child a name, a pet name from heaven, if you like, the name Jedidia, which means God's beloved. That story is very, very poignant, and I find it very, very moving uh, to, to read that and to see the pain that sin brings. The reason God hates sin so much is because it causes us so much pain. I remember when I was going through my divorce, I remember knowing that in a whole new way, how God hates sin because it causes us such pain. And not only us, but those around us. And not only those around us, but often it causes the ones closest to us the most pain. And so we see that David, David had, had sinned grievously against God. I mean, it wasn't just a little sin, it was massive. He had arranged for Uriah to be put out in the front of the battlefield so that he would die. He really literally had planned his death. It really was murder. And then on the other hand, we've spoken the last few weeks that hatred and speaking out words of hate over people is from the same root as murder. And so we're all guilty to some extent. But here's David, and he has covered this up. He has covered his sin up for over a year because Bathsheba has now brought forth this child that they conceived together. Remember we saw in James where it says, sin, when it is conceived, brings forth death. This child now has been conceived. So it's over a year now, and David, David has actually been covering and trying to pretend to himself and to the nation that he hasn't done anything wrong. And we're going to see that during that time, his heart was breaking. Because you see, he really, he really belonged to God. And if we belong to God, sin will grieve us. And yet David was pretending that all was well over that time. And you see, when we, get, when we cover our own sin and refuse to go to God and confess it and get forgiveness, do you know what happens? Bitterness and hardness builds up within us. Because we're actually justifying ourselves and we get so kind of hardened because we are refusing. We're really refusing to go to God and confess. We're really building up some kind of pride that it's okay. And we're, we're trying to lie to ourselves. And you know what happens? We begin to get desensitized to our own sin, but oversensitized to other people's. We think we're okay, but we're so quick to pick out on somebody else. Have you ever noticed that about yourself? I'll tell you, I've noticed it about myself. I've already said it's a known fact that the things we hate most in other people are usually the things that we ourselves are guilty of. And whilst on the surface, David appeared to be functioning normally during the year of silence between himself and God, it seems that his spirit had been desensitized to his own sin, but oversensitive to the sins of others. Did you see how judgmental he was when he heard the story about the little pet lamb that somebody had taken from a poor man? He was, he was like enraged. Something needs to be done. Isn't it amazing how we point the finger? And then Nathan, of course. Do you know when, when God sent Nathan the prophet, he did it because he loved David. And when Nathan came, it was God's love that brought him because David needed to be awakened to his own sin. And Nathan, I often imagine this Nathan the prophet. I don't know why I imagine these Old Testament prophets, but I always imagine the big, long, bony finger. <laughs> you ever think that? 
and you just see the big long bony finger going, you're the man. You're the man that should be punished because you just didn't take a little lamb from somebody else. You took a man's wife. You took a man's wife away from him and you killed his husband. You see how God was bringing it into the light. You know what, ladies, over these years that we've had eagles, one of the main things that I felt God has told me over and over again is to bring things into the light. It is a key. Today we're going to look at keys. Keys for living. Keys that will help you to stay close to God. And one of those keys, I believe, there's the biggest one. There's the biggest one. One of those keys is to bring your sin into the light. One of the keys is to, to bring your sin into the light and to bring it to God and to get it washed away. And you see, David hadn't done that. David had been living, covering up his sin for all this time. But when David came and said, you're the man, he was opening up. He was opening, he was helping David to open up his sin and actually look at it himself. My belief is that David, and I think we all do this, we pretend we haven't sinned and we try to cover it up and, and forget about it ourselves as if we hadn't, as if everything was okay, instead of actually dealing with it. And you see, in the Old Testament, I just mentioned this briefly, in the Old Testament, the prophets usually came with words of, uh, you know, something that God was going to do for the future. And also, very often, the Old Testament prophets came with judgment. But in the New Testament, we see in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3, he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Isn't it amazing that we are the other side of the cross? Isn't it amazing that Jesus has made a way for us to have the Holy Spirit within us to convict us about sin, to, to help us to, to walk with God? And isn't it amazing that we can, we can actually speak words over each other that are prophetic words? And prophetic isn't always about the future. A prophetic word is about edifying and exhorting and comforting each other. And God wants us to do that. And I would love that as you leave here over the summer, that you would be conscious that you can be a prophetic woman, that you can speak out over people that you meet. I was just speaking to someone earlier this morning and that, that overheard someone in the, in the toilets in Craigavon or somewhere and they'd heard someone in trouble and, and had stopped just to listen and to pray for them and just felt prompted to go in and speak a word. And the two women that she spoke over immediately said, oh, we were just talking about God. It was a word that she could come and witness to. And so often there are opportunities for us to speak into situations. But you know what the enemy wants to? Zip up our mouths. So we don't actually be those prophetic women that God wants us to be. To speak his word, to be his, his witness. Wherever we might have an opportunity. But you see the moment that David, uh, the moment that his sin was exposed. And, and God brought him into the light did you notice that he immediately confessed did you notice that he began he began to confess his sin and then to receive forgiveness but there was going to be consequences i want to run down quickly just a few things here that happened because i want to get to the end of this today and don't want to keep you late but look it says i've just in the note in the notes i've said sinning willfully against god causes suffering 
And you can read all about that in Psalm 51, verses 1 to 17. And I'd love you to read that. Read it in a number of different translations at some stage whenever you go home. Psalm 51. It's, all, it's a psalm that David wrote at this particular time whenever he, his sin was brought into the light. And here's what happens. One, we start to live a lie. We start to pretend that all is well. Two, when we overlook our own sin, we become hard on others. Three and four, sin silences us so we stop communicating with God. <coughs> psalm 32 and 3 is another, another psalm that David wrote at this time. And here's what he said. When I kept silence, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. This gives us an insight to what was happening in David during the one year of silence whilst uh, Bathsheba was more and more pregnant and the sin was more and more obvious to everyone. David was silent with God. It seems there was no communication. It seems he was silent, but his very bones were growing old. They were groaning. His bones were groaning. And I've put down here, guilt causes physical and spiritual pain. It says in, in verses 4 and 5, Psalm 32, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. It seemed that he lost his get up and go, his vitality. It seems that his bones were aching because of sin. I'll tell you, I believe there are times whenever our body is actually affected physically because of sin. And God wants to forgive us our sin. That's why he says, bring it into the light, because it just, it just washes this stuff off us. And it restores us. And I believe it really restores us, not just spiritually, but physically it can restore us. And so guilt causes physical and spiritual pain. We lose our joy. Psalm 51, verse 12, David prayed, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. You know, often we are not joyful because there's something that we've done that's grieved God and we need to get back and just say, Lord, search me. How often David said, search me, O Lord, and see my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. That's a real good prayer to pray because there might be things we've even done and we've grieved God and we've just carelessly run on. It's good to just say, Lord, you search me. Just wash me down. Just, just cleanse me. There's some, it's powerful. It's powerful just to do that. And David had not been talking or communicating. He hadn't been real with God. He had he'd been pretending. He'd been living a lie for over a year. The child was born. The, the prophet comes and God in his love and grace exposes it, brings it into the light so that he could restore David's joy. And David knew that. And David prayed. We're going to read a little bit of Psalm 51 in a moment. Sin brings deadness. Deadness. Sin, sin brings forth death. In this case, it was a physical death. This little child died. So often it's those around us who are, who are impacted and, and the child died. Sin impacts on those closest to us. We're going to see if we, if we continue. I'm going to pray about this over the summer, if we should continue with David or not. If we continue in September with David, we will see that his family did suffer, that there was an impact, there was an ongoing consequences to David's sin, even though he was forgiven. Number eight, sin makes us susceptible to deception. Galatians 6 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever we sow, we will reap. Number nine, sin gives the enemies of God opportunities to despise him. But here's the good news. 
We saw it at the very beginning. We have a Heavenly Father to whom we can run for help. We are not left alone, even when we blow it, even when we make the greatest mistakes and failures and deliberate sin in our lives. You know, we can run back to our Heavenly Father because he loves us enough to discipline us. And he wants us to know the joy of being washed and cleansed of all sin. As you turn to the second page in your notes, you'll see at the top it says, Be washed and cleansed of, cleansed of all sin. Here's what it says in Psalm 51. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. God's generosity, Psalm 51 verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Psalm 51 verse 13. Then, now this has always blown my mind, after all the sin that David did, after it all, not only does God say you're forgiven, but David prays this prayer that God can turn around his failure to actually teach others. I mean, is that not a miracle? Look what it says. Then said David, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted unto you. I just think that is so amazing that God wants to do that. God wants to, to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and to put a new song in our mouth. We become people who pray. Psalm 51 says, O oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. Psalm 51 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Do you know that out of this, David was going to operate out of a broken and contrite heart? I'll tell you something. Whenever we're forgiven for our sins, our heart becomes soft. Our heart might be broken, but it's broken in a good sense. It's broken in a way that God can do something with it. You know, when you think of Jesus you know, before he went to the cross, he took bread and he broke it. And there's something about godly brokenness that makes us ready for God to use us and to flow through us. A broken and a contrite heart. That's not a bad thing. It's, it's bad to have a broken heart that the enemy has broken. But when God breaks our heart, it's to actually, it's to actually flow through it out to the world. When Jesus' body was broken, it was to bless the world. And, and the, the, the fruit of that, we are still seeing that every day across this planet where souls are coming to Christ, where people are coming to know Jesus, where people are being healed by his stripes, we are healed. The brokenness and the contrite heart is a good thing. And, and God wants us, I believe, to operate out of that. It's always God's purpose to build us up. We need to remember that, that everything that God does in your life is to build you up. And just as children need to be disciplined, God will discipline us because he loves us and we are his kids and he wants us to know the joy of that. I have written in your notes, it's always God's purpose to build us up. He sent Nathan the prophet to bless David and release him, not to destroy him. Discipline is not to destroy you. Discipline is to bring you to your destiny. God wants you to know how much he loves you this morning. Jesus said, I came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Psalm 119, the New Living Translation, um, verse 67 says this, I used to wander off until you disciplined me. 
But now I closely follow your word. You're good and do only good. Teach me your decrees. Verse 73 says, you made me, you created me. Now give me the sense to follow your commands. How dependent we are upon upon the Lord. How dependent, how much God wants to do in our lives. God wants to bless you. Here's what it says in the message in Psalm 119, verses 73. With your very own hands you formed me. Now breathe your wisdom over me so I can understand you. When they see me waiting, expecting you, expecting your word, those who fear you will take heart and be glad. I can see now, God, that your decisions are right. Your testings has taught me what's true and right. Oh, love me and right now hold me tight, just the way you promised. Now, now comfort me so I can live, really live. Your revelation is the tune that I dance to. I want to repeat that. God wants to discipline you. He wants to hold you tight, just the way he has promised. He wants to comfort you so that you can live, really live the abundant life that he died for you. And he wants to give you a revelation which will become the tune that you dance to, that you dance to his tune. And so we see in this story, as we read the story, that sin affects others. But here's the thing, David pleaded for the life of the unnamed child. God said the child would die. But David continued to plead. Why? Because David knew that God was a merciful God. <laughs> continued to plead because David continued to plead that the child would be spared because he knew God was, was merciful. And, and so long as the child, so long as it was breath from that child, he, he was on his knees, fasting and praying before his heavenly father. He pleaded for the life of his unnamed child. I've written in your notes, we may come to many crossroads in our lives where decisions made will affect those closest to us. And God wants us to choose wisely. Proverbs 8 is one of those, one of those chapters which is all about coming to the crossroads. There are many moments in your life where you will come to a crossroad, where you will have to make a choice. And you know what? The choice that you make will have an impact on you and on your circumstances on, and on the people around you and I encourage you at the crossroads ask the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom. The Old Testament proverb says does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice she takes her stand on the top of the high hill beside the way where the paths meet she cries out by the gates at the entry of the city. I'll tell you at those moments those crossroads in your life the Holy Spirit will give you wisdom to do what's right for you and right for God's purposes in your life and for the people around you. David, David cried out for the child. He was coming out of horrendous sin. He had been forgiven, but there were consequences. And it says that whenever David realised the child had died, he washed and anointed himself and dressed. It says in one of the translations, he went to the tabernacle. He went to worship God. You know, there are times in our lives when, when we can do no more. And there are times in our life we just need to worship God. And David realised that the Lord's, Lord knew what was best in this situation. David knew that the Lord's judgment was right. And he had written so much about God knowing, knowing the path for his feet, about the God knowing 
the right judgments for him. And so with all the pain and bereavement that this would have caused him and Bathsheba. Can you imagine Bathsheba losing her baby? Can you imagine the pain and the grief that this couple would have shared in their guilt, both feeling so responsible, both, both, isn't it amazing how when a child dies, how so often uh, couples, uh, husbands and wives can, can actually refuse to go to God for help and comfort and actually push each other away for comfort and how it can wreck, how often do you see that, how the death of a child can wreck, can wreck a home, can wreck a, 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 a marriage. And in this situation, God didn't want that to happen. God didn't want further turmoil and grief on this family. We see God's hand in love because during this time it says that David rose up and went into Bathsheba and comforted her. I believe that David received comfort from God when he went to the tabernacle. I believe when he pleaded, he was he knew his sin and he was ready to say lord you do what's right and god does know what's right and when he went and worshiped the lord and then went back he was ready to comfort his wife with the comfort that he had received second corinthians chapter one says when we're comforted with god's comfort we know how to comfort others and he goes in and he comforts her and he actually comforts her through coming together and, and having, uh, having a sexual relationship with her. Isn't it amazing that that can be a comfort? That that's what, God, that's what God wants couples to do, to comfort each other through intimacy and through loving each other. And, and, and instead of turning away from each other, instead of striking out at each other and blaming each other, to actually love each other and to allow God's love to come into their relationship. And in the midst of this grief, we see David coming to his wife and it says, that he turned to his wife Bathsheba and comforted her and she conceived again and gave birth to Solomon. I find it intriguing that they called him Solomon, which means peace. I believe this couple had come through into a measure of I believe that through their grief, God, isn't it amazing how so often the, the enemy will try to keep us stuck in grief where we can't get out of it we just grieve and it gets worse and it never seems to it never seems to end have you ever seen people who are actually trapped in grief god did not want david and bathsheba to be trapped in grief he sent the prophet to expose to bring things into the light so that they could comfort each other and so that he could continue with his purposes for their lives and so solomon is born his name means peace and one day this child was going to sit on the throne of Israel and fulfill God's promise to David. You know, we haven't time to go back, but you'll know a few weeks ago, we looked at how God had given David promise, promises that from his family tree would eventually come Messiah. And it's very, very interesting that it was going to be through this child, Solomon, his name means peace. And isn't it interesting, isn't it interesting that God's purposes are continuing to be fulfilled after all the wrong choices? After all the wrong choices. How many wrong choices have you made? I'll tell you, I've made a lot. You know what? God can work them together. God can bring so much good out of even wrong choices. And here's the thing. The child was born, Solomon. His name was Peace. And in the midst of it all, here comes Nathan the second time. The first time he came to expose sin, 
now he's coming back a second time and he's coming with a message from God and the message is saying God wants to give this child a name and his name means Judea, which means God's beloved. God was coming in to comfort them in the midst of it all with a word that their child was beloved by God, that God loved this child, that God was going to bless this child out of their union. You know, it never ceases to amaze me that from Bathsheba, and that's a whole new story to go into Bathsheba, but from Bathsheba came both the parents of Jesus. Sometimes we forget that. Both parents. Solomon on the one hand for Joseph. But Nathan, who she named after the prophet. I tell you, she could have taken offence and said, there's that old Nathan fella again coming with bad news. But you know what? I believe Bathsheba was a teachable woman. And I believe Bathsheba rose up to be the woman that God meant her to be. And God honoured her by giving her a son and she named him Nathan. And through both sides down the family tree, he sends forth the parents of Messiah. To me, that is just incredible. The grace of God. What can God do with your life? What can he not do with your life? If you surrender it to him, if you become teachable, as I believe that Bathsheba was. Solomon is a prophetic picture of Jesus. First, as a child coming to save the world, Isaiah 9 announces that him his coming. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Solomon's name meant peace, and from Solomon would come the Prince of Peace. And not only did Jesus come, Messiah come to save, but he came, he's coming back to rule. And we see that prophecy in Isaiah 11 verse 9 where it says, He shall reign in righteousness. And that's what we see about the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. Why not give birth and the weak... Uh, and, and I'm reading my, wrong, my notes wrong here. It, the verses go on, I'm skipping bits, but out of Isaiah 11 it goes on to say, And the weaned child shall put his hand in the vipers in the den. That's a coming day. That's when the Prince of Peace is coming back. That's what we have to look forward to. It goes on to say, For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse. Please listen to this. In that day there shall be a root of Jesse, that's David's son, David, who shall stand as a banner to the people. From Jesse, David, Solomon, right down to Jesus, Messiah. And when he comes to reign, when he comes to reign as Prince of Peace, he shall stand as a banner to the people. He will set up a banner for the nations from the four corners of of the earth. I'll tell you his kingdom is coming. His kingdom is coming. Christine Cain says, don't let your history define your destiny. Whatever's gone on in the past, know that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for it. Cut it off and move on. Fear of repeating past mistakes can hinder the faith needed to advance. Another quote from Christine Cain. Fear of repeating past mistakes can hinder faith needed 
to advance. I'm speaking to all of you today. To It's time to advance. It's time to leave the past behind. It's time to know it's been dealt with. It's been paid for. You are free and you're free to move forward. I read this this morning. I don't know who wrote it. But it's about seven keys for life. And I'm just going to hold up the keys. God first. Love one another. Never hate. Give generously. Live simply. Forgive quickly. And be kind to another. I'll add one more thing to it. Laugh a lot. (laughs) Heather sent me a text this morning to say that she believed that this morning should be about about the joy of the Lord. It should be about how God wants us to have a merry heart because a merry heart is medicine. And I believe this summer that God's calling you to walk simply, just daily getting that wash every day. Just as you're getting your shower, ask the Lord to wash your spirit and cleanse you. And just to walk daily with him in a simple way of trusting him and obeying him. Just stepping out whenever he gives you a word and being faithful to give that word. I believe that God wants us to be free to laugh and to know the joy of the Lord as our strength. And you know what? Don't get too tied up with what the enemy's doing because you know what? Jesus can deal with him. Just plead his blood, walk straight, live simply and go for God. I think it's time to run. Let's read these few words again from Hebrews 12. This is about after the discipline. Later, of course, it pays off handsomely, for it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. I believe we've been in training over this past season, and I believe it's time now to, to move out and to do what God's calling you to do. So don't sit around on your hands. No more dragging your feet. Clear the path for long-distance runners so no one will trip and fall, so no one will step in a hole and sprain an ankle. Another translation says, it's time to get a fresh grip. Get a grip, a fresh grip on who God is and how much he loves you. And then it says, help each other out and run for it. Run for the goal. Run for what God's calling you to run for. Run for Jesus this summer. I believe God is with us this morning. I believe he wants you to be encouraged. I believe he wants you to know that he can do more than you would even ask or think. I believe, actually, that we are getting set for a new season for God. A lot of us have felt this. Even over Ireland, we believe there's a fresh move. I believe there's a fresh wave coming. Are we ready for that wave? Because I believe God wants us to ride that wave. I believe God wants us to be ready to run for him, to encourage each other. This morning in the prayer meeting, we had a sense, and we've felt this for quite a long while, we've felt that, that there's a, a real, been a real call to raise up warriors out of the women who come to Eagles. Warriors who know how to pray and know how to fight with the word of God. Warriors who know how to stand and defend the weak. And this morning we felt a fresh thing. We felt as well as a warrior woman that God is calling up midwives, those who will be tender and care for those who are down and broken and in difficulties we will help to birth the things from women who have been in a difficult place or women who are are just about to give birth but they're they need help god has purposes for all of your lives that he wants you to birth 
And we need to help each other to give birth to what God has put in each of our spiritual wounds. And so this morning in the prayer room, we had a picture of being down in our hunkers with those who are pregnant and helping them and encouraging them and and giving encouraging words to push in prayer and to, to bring forth the thing that God is planning for their lives. And at the same moment, from that position, that posture, to be quick to rise up to be the warrior woman, to defend and to stand firm against the enemy. May it be this summer, may we see the new things bring forth. May we be ready for what God wants to do over this land. May we be warrior women and midwives all at the same time. What an amazing God we have. Father, I just thank you for your word. I pray it will go deep into all our hearts. I pray, O oh God, that you would stir us up to, to have fresh vision. Lord, thank you that you want your woman to take off the old clothes of guilt and shame to take them off lord and to know that they're not part of who we are that we are women who have been cleansed and forgiven and redeemed and bought and thank you god that we are your woman and that we are ready to go forward lord thank you for the privilege of being part of what you're doing on this earth at this moment in history thank you god that you're giving us the privilege of being part of what you're doing help us god just to trust you help you lord to lean into you and hear your heartbeat as we move forward with you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Looking onto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, let's run this race. Let's know that there are many who need to know the, the gospel, the truth, the message that Christ came to bring to this world. Know that you are carrying something that this world needs. Oh, what a day that is going to be when our Saviour we shall see. Listen, we are going to see him face to face. And I've heard that sin and suffering is finally destroyed. Listen, if there's some of you today and you're in a dark, difficult place, know that Jesus will walk through that place with you. And he will bring you out into your purposes. And let him train you as you go through the darkness. And let him do what he wants to do because he loves you so much. And I promise you he will bring you out. And I promise you, you will know more and more of what it's like to bring this message to other people. Because you know what? We are bound for the city of joy. We are bound for the city of joy. Lord, in Jesus' name, as we just leave each other now, may you be with us. Holy Spirit, Father, Son of God, Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for your presence here today. We pray that you will imprint on every heart what you want to say, because individually for every woman in this place, you have something you want to say to them personally. God, will you just imprint it on their heart? God, I just pray that as they leave today, they will leave with a fresh sense of your presence and of your joy because in your presence there is fullness of joy go in peace amen